Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit We made this. Every day I wake up knowing that the more people I try to save, the more enemies I will make. And it's just a matter of time before I face those with more power. I can overcome. I'm so sorry, I'm late. I had a traffic thing. Did your traffic jam have anything to do with being, I don't know, shot at by machine guns? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was implied. That was implying that. Agent <laughs> Park. There he is, boy. You're gonna wanna see this. Oscorp. Get you under surveillance. Why? Isn't that the question of the day? There's something you're not telling me yet, May. I once told you that secrets have a cost. The truth does too. My name is Richard Parker. I have discovered what Oscorp was going to use my research for. I have a responsibility to protect the world from what I know they're capable of. The future. We literally can change the world. What about Peter? Not everyone has a happy ending. This is bigger than you, Peter. I made a choice. This is my path. Everyone in the city know how it feels to live in a world without power, without mercy, without Spider-Man. Podcast 616, the We Made This Network's podcast all about the Marvel Universe. I'm your host, Craig McKenzie, and I'm here to lead a discussion about the much maligned Amazing Spider-Man 2. Joining me on this journey through this divisive film is my 
co-host, a co-host, another person, Carpenter Lockwood. Hello. Hello. I am the other person. <laughs> the other person. There is definitely another person here. Whatever the title is, we'll attribute <laughs> it. But yes. The other Spider-Man. The other Spider-Man, of which there are many, mm, of course. Excitingly. Yeah. <laughs> excitingly, yeah. So Amazing Spider-Man 2, we previously discussed Amazing Spider-Man 1, which was a really fun discussion. By the time you listen to this, it will be there. So listen to that, then listen to this. And maybe watch the films in between. I don't know. It's up to you. But just listen to this anyway. <laughs> so let's just get started with general thoughts on the film. So what do you think of this film, The Amazing Spider-Man 2? What are your thoughts on it? I remember enjoying it when I saw it, but I couldn't remember much about it, really. But watching it again, it was better than I remembered, which surprised me. I think over the years of not watching it, I was like, oh, it's, it's kind of the shit one. And then I was like, oh, no, no, it's, a, it's good. It's not the best it could be. There's definitely things that should have gone differently, in my opinion. But I liked it. I love Garfield's Spider-Man. I love him. And the way he does, like, just emotions and his chemistry with his co-stars is just amazing. Usually, I'm all about the characters and the plot. I don't tend to mind as much. But, yeah, I definitely just adore his Spider-Man. And I'm just happy to watch him all day, you know? <laughs> I was trying to think back to how I reacted to it when I first saw it. And then I couldn't remember. So then I read my review, and I think my review, looking back, is overly generous. But there are things about this film I like, but I do think it's a complete mess. There's no clear sense of what it is, and it tries to do too much. It's one of yeah. those, we have a story here, but also we want to set up many, many films that turns out we're not going to make. So a lot of it's redundant now. Yeah, that happened in the first one as well, yeah. It's a shame. Less so in the first one, though. I think the first one is very much its own thing, mostly. There's hints mostly, of a future but, in there, but this one definitely is, let's set up yeah. a bunch of stuff. I think the hints were a bit subtler in the first one, but as I now kind of know what to expect from Spider-Man Media, I was like, oh, are they going to, oh, are they going to, and then... You know, knowing that they didn't, I guess, kind of makes the first one slightly more disappointing when you see hints, knowing they don't get picked up again. <laughs> and then I guess even more disappointingly, watching them try to set so much shit up in this one and not going anywhere with it. I feel like they could have set up this film better in the first one, just a little bit, had they not tried to pick up so many potential overarching things in the first one, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, maybe if we'd gotten a bit more of a hint at Oscorp and maybe the Osborns specifically, instead of just that guy who was trying to get the cure for Norman and then we'd never see him again. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if we'd gotten a bit more of a hint, the two of them would have sort of neatly wrapped a bit better. Yeah. In the first one, it's Norman Osborn's dying. And if you're not someone that's seen the other Spider-Man films or is aware of Spider-Man and Anyway, you'd be like, who is that? Yeah. Why is that important? Why should I care if this CEO of this company is dying? Yeah. And then he dies in this film and it's kind of a non-event, which is really weird because yeah. Norman Osborn's in it, but they kill him off. I don't think they would have permanently killed him off, I think, had this continued. Probably. He would eventually have come back. I know in one of the trailers, they had different iterations of the villain room, you know, oh, the, the right. villain yeah. equipment room. And one of them was Norman Osborn's severed head. 
in a <laughs> glass case for some reason. And there was like the Venom symbiote and stuff like yeah, that. It was yeah. one of those, we can just CGI in any old crap in the background here and we'll just <laughs> set up whatever. And then you finally see it in the final film and it's the Doc Ock tentacles, yeah. the vulture wings, the rhino suit. Here's our next films mm. that, again, we will never make. No. <laughs> It's kind of frustrating because I think Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone and what's his name who plays Harry? Dane DeHaan. Yeah, I thought their chemistry between the three of them was beautiful and I really wanted more of that. And if they'd just sort of pulled in the reins just a little bit and tried to just make one movie at a time, it would have been really nice. And like they could have set up some really nice things between the three of them for later yeah. on. But it, it got fairly disjointed. It had a lot of emotional weight to the relationships, obviously, in this one. They get very emotional in this film. But I feel like mm. there could have been even more to it if Harry and Gwen had maybe interacted a little bit more or if we'd seen Peter talk about Harry and Gwen to each other, like that kind of thing. Or if they'd, like, we've had some childhood... Well, we had plenty of childhood match. We don't need flashbacks. But, like, no. I don't know. As a polyamorous person who... Would love to see Peter with a boyfriend and a girlfriend. I'm always just looking for, but you know, there could have just been some more really nice, a lot more emotional entanglement between the three of them that would have been really nice. <laughs> I don't know if I'm articulating that very well. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. I think the film could have picked something and then stuck with it rather than trying to be too many things. Yes. Is it about Peter accepting the past or the legacy, I suppose, that he learns about? Is it about his relationship with Gwen? Is it about Gwen herself? Is it about whatever? There's so many things that it tries to be and it doesn't really succeed at being any of them. I think its most successful story and the one that it really should have hung itself on is this film is about Gwen Stacy and the choices that she makes in her life mm. and how that choice or those choices ultimately lead her to her death because they do. But She's actually the best character in this film for me. And I think the most consistent through line is what she's doing and what she's trying to achieve in her life. And yeah. I love the way that she's characterised. Yeah, she's pretty brilliant. It's just really, really frustrating that they killed it because obviously they're setting this up to have more films. They didn't, yeah. but that's what they were trying to do. And so killing Gwen Stacy is some kind of motivation for Peter. It doesn't yeah. do anything else. It's just for messing up Peter so that he'll do other things which is fridging yes <laughs> which is not fun and it's really annoying doesn't mean you can't kill female characters ever but it's really frustrating that it's all about her making the choices and then there's nothing she could have done yeah it's really frustrating a good way for her to die in this movie or something would have been someone has to press the button but whoever presses it is going to get shocked too or something like that and it's probably going to kill it that's a sacrifice that's a choice whereas this was just she was dangling by a thread and Peter didn't catch her in time. Which is probably the worst death for Peter's character. But following the thread of the film, the clearest story is Gwen's choices. And I don't know, it just feels like the writers were punishing her for making her a good character by killing her. <laughs> Watching that scene, it goes on for a fair bit. Peter trying to hold back the goblin while Gwen's like swinging there the web isn't fragile it's gonna get cut but it's not fragile and I was like well if I was her I'd, I mean I don't know what I would do if I was her I'd probably just cry a lot but <laughs> the logical thing to do is to start swinging to try and get to like, the metal bars that are like all around her 
to try and grab onto something instead of just dangling. And I feel like it would have been so much cooler had she got out of that situation. It just felt like they made her so useful to then say she's useless. And that's really yeah. annoying. I don't know how much you know about Gwen from the comics, the original Gwen. There's Spider-Gwen at the moment. She's very ubiquitous. Yeah, I know of Spider-Gwen. So that's a much more recent thing. And it's great. That character is very good. But the original version of the characters in the comics, when Peter went to university, he met Gwen. Mm. And they hit it off because they're both science people. Just like in the film. They sense a kinship with each other and they had this tragic-ish relationship for quite a while in the comics it was fairly one note when you look back at it but it was written in the 70s i think i think she was introduced at that point so you have to make allowances for that not that it's right that she was written like that but you have to make allowances for the time in that respect Mm. but the relationship was tragic because peter's never here he's always off doing something i don't know where he goes and she never found out his secret and um, Peter couldn't tell her because she hated Spider-Man. That age-old story. She loves Peter Parker, but hates Spider-Man. He doesn't know they're the same person. Right. And eventually the Green Goblin gets his memory back and kidnaps Gwen and then throws her off a bridge. Similar to what he does in this film, Peter snags her with a web. And it's unclear whether he snaps her neck at that point and that kills her. Well, he definitely snaps her neck, but it's unclear if she was already dead. Because it's been suggested that the shock of the fall would have killed her before the web could ever reach her. Well, I mean, her head hits the floor, yeah. Well, in this, yeah, but she doesn't hit the ground. Oh, in in the comic, right. Peter grabs her and he's like, yes, I've done it. I'm the best. And then she's, oh God, she's not waking up. And then she dies. And in the comics, it sort of operates as a bit of a reaffirmation of his primary motivation. So the Uncle Ben death, it's a similar take on that. He blames himself and... It resets him in a way, but the difference between Gwen and Uncle Ben is there are back issues that you can go and read to get a sense of who Gwen was. Mm. She's not deep, but she's there. And I get the sense they were trying to do it similarly in this to reference that story, but it doesn't quite work because, well, it just gets tacked on at the last 10 minutes of the film or whatever. So it's just kind of nothing, but... I expected that this would be what would happen going into this film, and especially because she's wearing a very similar outfit to what she was wearing in the comics when she died, (laughs) at the point where she's like, I'm going to fly to London early or whatever. I'm just going to change into this purple skirt and... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Whatever combo. I don't know. Like, I don't know clothes. But she changes into that outfit and I was like, all right, okay. 
Bye. Be dead within the next half an hour <laughs> because you're Bye, wearing. Bye, Gwen. The, yeah. But they really set photos before of her wearing that outfit as well, and mm. it's like, yeah, your days are numbered, unfortunately. Yeah, I feel like I remember hearing people being like, "Ah, she's going to die in this one." I was like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it would have been a braver choice to not have her die, as you say, because yeah. people were expecting the death, and apparently there was an alternate ending where Peter gives her a blood transfusion, and she gets spider powers, and all this nonsense. That would have been interesting. Would it though? It would have been interesting, but that would have been really fucking annoying because of all the bullshit with Harry in this movie. It wouldn't make any sense because if he's willing to do it out of desperation because of Gwen, why wouldn't he be willing to do it out of desperation for Harry? That doesn't make any sense. I've got issues with the whole thing with Harry anyway. Which we'll get to. The killing off of Gwen is just very frustrating. (laughs) It is. And especially because the film spends so much time on her and showing you how capable she is she has a lot more agency than peter in a lot of ways in this film the interesting bit is i've been messed around by you for too long peter i'm breaking up with you i'm ending this relationship please just stop holding me back yeah and then throughout it's very much this is what i'm doing with my life you can get on board with it or you can get lost Mm. well she doesn't tell him that she's never mean-spirited about it but that's what the the gist of it is because it's that bit where she makes a phone call to him after he's found out about his parents and she's like look i think it's possibly time we just let this go so she's woken up to the fact that maybe this relationship isn't long term and then after that peter's like i'll come to england i will be spider-man in london they've never caught jack the ripper i'll catch jack the ripper and all that (laughs) stuff the amazing spider-man 3 set in london peter and gwen in london sign me up for that i want to see that that'll be cool (laughs) it'd be funny if they did do that because for me in movies when they go to london that's when they've run out of ideas as in far from home when they go to London and Yeah, <laughs> Far From Home, Night of the Museum 3, in big franchises, if they start, usually in America, if they end up in London, they run out of ideas. This is their last yeah, try. But, <laughs> but for Spider-Man, it would actually be a new idea, because yeah, we've had him in cool. New York this whole time. So let's just switch <laughs> it up and see what he is like in London. Yeah. Like swinging around, I suppose. And by contrast, I think Peter is actually quite unlikable in this film in a lot of ways. Especially in how he relates to Gwen. There's that bit where she's going to her important interview and he's like, but before that, let me just talk about myself for a while. I'm really conflicted about this. This can't wait an hour until you're out of this interview. And she's like, Peter, what the hell? I'm trying to go to this thing. And then she stops what she's doing and she hears him out. But at the same time, this is your future here. If you're late for this, that could Mm. count against you. And in that moment, I'm like, Peter, calm down, chill out, just give it time and let her do what she wants to do. And... There's other moments in the film where he just seems very selfish and self-absorbed and he's never really punished for it as such. He just kind of continually acts like that. Yeah, which is why it's frustrating that they killed her because that feels like the punishment, which is bad. But sorry, I don't know if this fits in with what we were just saying. I wrote somewhere in my notes, Fridging Gwen Stacy is feminism? (laughs) (laughs) because she storms off and she's like i'm making my own choices i'm going out i'm doing this and she marches into the control rooms or whatever and it's like yeah feminism and then she dies feminism (laughs) it's like you said earlier it might have been more effective if it was a sacrifice indirectly it is because she puts herself in that situation yeah that she can then get kidnapped by the goblin so she has put herself in harm's way in that respect. She's made that choice to do that. It's not that someone came looking for her to kidnap her. She was just there. So it's not that Harry would have went looking for her first. I mean, I'm a man, so I can't really mm. 
make judgment calls on that. But to me, it feels different in the respect of it's not the I know who Spider-Man is, therefore I'm going to kidnap one of his loved ones. It's just she's there at the time. Yeah, that also annoys me in superhero movies when the bad guy does the King Kong thing and takes yeah. the girl. That's annoying to me now. I've seen it so many times. It's just really annoying. <laughs> it does make sense that Harry would grab her at that point because oh, he blames it does, Peter yeah. for everything that's happened I'm to I'm just kind of done and, with that image. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like Harry wouldn't have went after her if she hadn't been there initially. They would have just fought, but he, he saw an opportunity and he took it. Mm. And it is definitely Gwen's choice to be there. It's that, what are you, a caveman? You'll web me up and go off to war? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a good bit. (laughs) Also, if she wasn't there, he would have died because he wouldn't have been able to solve the problem. Yeah. What I find frustrating is that Gwen dying is kind of like that whole Parker look that he likes to whine about a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and he is very unlucky. A lot of bad things happen to him. He is a very traumatised individual in most versions. But what's the point? It's just bad things happen to Peter 3. Which is fine. When I'm reading fanfic, sometimes that's all I want. But this isn't a fanfic. This is meant to be a whole movie. You could argue it's fanfiction, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. But in the first one, Uncle Ben dies, that motivates him, all that. And then Captain Stacy dies at the end, and that's kind of like that reaffirmation that it's his responsibility, that kind of thing. Obviously, he doesn't really get along with Captain Stacy, but he's a good guy, I suppose. And uh, it's really upsetting to Peter and Gwen that he dies. And having so much survivor's guilt about Captain Stacy is really interesting in this film. And I felt frustrated that it didn't go anywhere useful. I think the obvious choice, obvious as in the obvious good choice for this movie, was to have this guilt really messing him up. And obviously that's the reason that Gwen leaves him, is because he can't let go of that guilt. And kind of take responsibility and also let her have ownership of her situation. He never says the whole Parker Luck thing, but it's basically, if this happens, something's bad's gonna happen to you. One, that's not your choice, and two, that's just kind of putting it on fate, inevitability. There's no control in that. It's kind of like giving up. It's not like, if we do do this, I'm gonna try my best to keep you safe. It's, if we do this, you're gonna die. Obviously, you would feel like that, but... I think it would be better if she had survived and Peter has to deal with the fact that not everything he touches dies and he can have nice things and he does have to get on with his life and try and let go of this guilt because obviously it's holding him back. I think it would have been really interesting to have a moment where he sees Captain Stacy or something and it messes him up at a really crucial moment and Gwen just shoves him or comes running through and fixes something and then he's like oh she's not dead yet (laughs) i think that would have been a much more interesting i mean i know this is much earlier spider-man than the character insights we got from spider-verse and the way people are writing things now but i think that would have been a better and more interesting choice to sort of let go of everyone peter loves dies to just peter's gonna have to man up and deal with his guilt And if that means breaking up with his girlfriend and focusing on not panicking every time someone gets close to him, then that's what he's got to do. Yeah, Peter's just a commitment phobe and he's using this as an excuse. That's what it is. Yeah. Things are getting too real and he's just like, nah, you're dead, dad. See you later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what it felt like. But it just felt like for all this 
character development they were giving Gwen and all of his insistence that something was going to go wrong, that's not foreshadowing. It doesn't have to be foreshadowing. And it's a more interesting choice if she didn't die. And he then has to deal with the fact that it didn't go badly in that way. It would have been more interesting had something happened to Harry. But also the promise doesn't make complete sense when Gwen knows that he's Spider-Man as well. Mm. Because Captain Stacy on his deathbed says, Peter, leave Gwen out of this. Your life is dangerous. I don't want her caught up in this. Fair play. That's his daughter. He doesn't want his daughter to be killed because of being close to a superhero. Cool. No problems there. That makes complete sense. But Gwen knows his secret. She immediately figured out, my dad told you to leave me alone, didn't he? Yeah. And then he goes and breaks that promise anyway. The narrative implies that they've been on again, off again so many times since George Stacy's death. And Gwen's just had it. She can't deal with it anymore, this breaking up and getting back together, breaking up, getting back together. Yeah. So that's why she makes a choice to end the relationship because it's for her benefit. She's thinking, this is this is ridiculous. But she knows his secret, so she has therefore made the choice to be in a relationship with him in spite of that secret. And she knows about the promise that her father made to Peter make. So at that point, Gwen knows everything. Gwen knows absolutely everything. All the information that can possibly exist in this situation, she knows it. And she's therefore still made the choice that this relationship is, as far as I'm concerned, worth the risk. And I want to be in it as much as you do. Because she says to Peter... What, so that means we can't be together? Who does that work for? Who does that benefit? When he's feeling guilty, when he says, what does that make me? I've made this promise and I keep breaking it. What does that make me? So he's worried about his own morality. He's worried about how he comes across and who he's becoming. And Gwen says, no, that's nothing. It's a deathbed promise. It's a deathbed demand. It's not about your life, that promise. And we can make that choice together because that's what a relationship is. It's about both sides processing things together. And... Peter's trying to make that unilateral decision and then Gwen makes a unilateral decision to say, nah, I've had enough of this. Yeah. I'm just going to do that. And then they don't speak for a while and eventually she gets in touch and says, I think we should try and be friends, which doesn't work because they're just so hot for each other. <laughs> that scene was so cute though. When they were like, oh, you're going to have to stop doing that. That's too cute. I can't. <laughs> that was adorable. <laughs> you need to figure out a more annoying laugh. <laughs> that, that laugh is off the table so yeah. cute <laughs> you kind of feel like you're intruding in those scenes yeah they fit pretty sure they were dating at that point but they just they were yeah. fit so nicely together and they work so well and I can't get over Andrew's ability to act every time I watch a scene with him I'm like how does he do that so beautifully with all of his co-stars he's always so bursting with energy in this sometimes it's quite off-putting to watch it's that bit where he's talking to Harry and he just climbs over the railing for no reason yeah just does it can't sit still for a second it it can be kind of annoying I'm used to it that's the vibe (laughs) I don't mean I find ADHD annoying I mean I find the way that Peter Parker behaves in this film sometimes quite annoying. Yeah, he can be annoying in this film. I love, I think he's great. And also him and Aunt May, they really feel like a family. They did it in the first one as well, but in this one, the way he hugs her and talks to her when they had that scene about his dad and everything. And I look at them and you believe they were related. The way they talk to each other is you believe that they've been through all that and that they're family. Well, that scene in his room is so good because May thinks... 
am I not enough? Is what I've done for you all these years mean nothing to you? What is this about? And Peter's like, no, no, you're more than enough. You're my everything. This isn't what this is about. It's about resolving those questions that he's been living with his entire life. And he needs to know the answers. And and May respects him at that point because she was shielding him from it. Yeah. And then she turns around and says, okay, I'll tell you, but it's going to hurt. Just so you know, it's going to hurt. And then that's fine. Tell me. And then that warps his world completely because they then believe that his dad was not a good person who was working yeah. in secret. I mean, this whole thing, it's a pointless plot because it doesn't really do anything. It doesn't enrich anything. And in fact, it completely destroys the whole point of Spider-Man as he once existed because it's that whole, anybody could have been bitten by that spider, but he was. That's the whole idea. He's an ordinary person. But now it's... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He's the only one that could have been bitten by that spider and given powers. So it's another crappy chosen one plot where there doesn't need to be one. It made sense in the first one when he was the only person with that decay rate algorithm because his dad had figured it out and that's what he was hiding. That made sense. That's not exactly a chosen one thing, that's just how it happened. That's the puzzle pieces coming together. This is destiny bullshit and that doesn't work for Spider-Man. I wonder if they were just trying to explain about the whole, well, this room full of spiders, could they not just get 20 people bitten and they've got an army of Spider-Men. Yeah. Well, no, they can't because there's only one person that could have possibly gotten these powers. But the fact that they'd established that they got rid of the spiders, what is the point in going into more detail about it? I know that the reason is because they do have some of the venom stored in the thing and it Harry goes to get it. But if you're going to say that all of them are gone and you're going to stick with that, what is the point in all this extra destiny stuff? Yeah, that was really frustrating. Also, they spent so much of the first movie, Peter and Gwen, thinking through things scientifically. They are scientists. And then when Harry asks for Spider-Man's blood so he can try and figure out the cure for the Osborne curse or whatever. Obviously, I get he doesn't want the lizard thing to happen. But at the beginning of that conversation, it's not like... Harry was just going to immediately inject Peter's blood into him. That's not what he was going to do. I don't understand why Peter was like, right, okay, this is probably going to upset you, but I'm Spider-Man. This is my blood. I think it's pretty fucking rare that it works for you too. But obviously there's something in my genes that was right for the Spider-In. So if we work together using your science funding and my brain and my blood, we could probably figure out some kind of cure for you and we can work on it together because we're buds. Instead, he's like, no, 
<laughs> and I don't get it! When Harry first asks him, that's a pretty sensible request. He's the head of this science corporation that was working on cross-genetics that worked twice. Spider-Man and the killer lizard. Why not ask the one that's actually alive and a good person and be like, hey, I think you could help me cure myself from dying. It just so happens to be his best friend as well. There's literally no point for Peter to say no, and that's always annoyed me. Because Harry at that point isn't being irresponsible. He is being super responsible. He's being really good to Felicia, his assistant. I remember when I was watching this, I was like, where's my AU where Harry Osborn gets to be like a super kick-ass CEO that's great to his employees, make sure his science is being used for the right thing, only uses green energy, that kind of thing. Where is my AU where Harry gets to shake high society and high business as this multi- billion dollar CEO. That's what I wanted. Harry's being the most sensible at that point and Peter says no, he's being irresponsible and that's always bugged me. Yeah, I completely agree. It's the, I can't give you my blood, it could be dangerous. Yeah, well it could, that's why I'm going to give it to some guys in the lab so they can look at it. Yeah, that's why I've got this whole science building that you explored extensively in the first film. I have an entire floor of guys that can work on it. Yeah. Gwen could maybe have a look. She's pretty smart. Maybe she can figure something out. Yeah, I don't understand why Peter takes, but it's just not a good enough motivation for him to take that line on it. The conversation could have been better, though, from Harry's perspective, because he says, give me your blood. I I think it can cure me. And he says, no, I don't know what it will do to you. And then Harry should have said, well, I'm going to take it to the lab. Yeah. And we're going to look at it. That's why I want it. I don't know if it's going to work, but... Let's have a look, because it's worth a try. And then at that point, Peter could say, sure. And he solve all his money problems at the same time. And he's like, how much do you want? And he's like, I want $10 million. Yeah. And set for life. Come on, Peter. <laughs> You've got an opportunity here. You don't have to be taking pictures for an email that probably came from J.K. Simmons. You can mm. just be a millionaire. And all you have to do is donate a sample of blood. That's yeah, it. and it, it would have been fine, and Gwen could have gone to Oxford, and Peter probably would have got over himself a little bit, and everything would have been great. There are problems where Harry's concerned as well, though, because he's acting like he's going to die tomorrow. Yeah. But his dad suffered for decades. <laughs> yeah, and then Harry's like, I'm dying now! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was the line? I'm already dying, your blood won't make me die more. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, but... that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, it like, if it goes bad, <laughs> it will go bad quicker. You could probably die sooner. It makes sense that Harry is so freaked out by that. I think an initial reaction to that, you're going to die from this thing, and you're on your way to dying now, is just, fuck it then, I guess. So that makes a lot of sense. I just think Peter just takes a ridiculous line on a lot of things in this movie, which is frustrating because he does it so beautifully. <laughs> it's bad writing, though. Yeah. Because they don't explain the reasons behind these decisions enough. And Harry's yeah. descent into villainy doesn't work because it just happens so quickly. Yeah, it very much so. Harry comes across as a very good person among all the business people, the board or whatever. He comes across as he's sharp and a bit mean, but he's very good. And that he's going to do good things. And then it just takes a very sharp left turn into, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Chill out. (laughs) 
you almost feel like you need at least some I know flashbacks would cheapen this movie in particular because of how well they talked about their childhood in this movie you don't need a flashback but it almost feels like to justify his turn to villainy you'd have to have some shitty backstory of his dad forcing him to kill ants or something (laughs) (laughs) also the film doesn't seem to realise that they were friends when they were what eight years old hmm they say in dialogue that it's been 10 years and obviously Peter's just left high school and it's not clear how much time passes in that montage where he's being Spider-Man after he breaks up with Gwen. The implication is it's a few months, but Peter's what, 18, maybe 19. So he's friends with Harry when he was eight years old, but they're acting like they were best buds when they were teenagers, which makes sense for the age the actors are, but it doesn't make sense for the age the characters are. You wouldn't think that they would have such strong memories of their connection when they were that young. Because Peter says, you were there for me when my parents disappeared. Would an eight-year-old really be that much emotional use? Well, they they would have been ten. Peter says, actually, it was eight years. Oh, Harry says he's 20, doesn't he? Yeah, so they yeah. would have been like 10, 11, 12. Yeah. But Peter in the first film is supposed to be, what, Steen? Something like that, yeah. It makes sense that Gwen and Peter met at university, now that you've said it, in the comics, because that's the vibe I get from the first film. I don't get high school. I get uni vibes from those two. Mainly because no one really looks in their 20s. 20s is such a wide range of appearances that no one really looks (laughs) a certain age of 20s. He's 29 in that film, Andrew Garfield, and... He can pass as a school student. Kind of. Kind of. But it's not the vibe I'm getting from the two of them. I get more of a uni vibe. My sister is about to turn 16, and I don't get the vibes I get from them lot from Garfield Spider-Man. I get that more from Tom Holland, because he's my age. So I'm a little closer to that than 29-year-old Andrew was. Definitely pick up more uni vibes, particularly with how Gwen dresses. But it's like she's already had her style develop. She's got no embarrassing phases. She found herself. Yeah, she's already found herself at like age 16. And we're like, all right. <laughs> That's just stylish Hollywood for you though, isn't it? People have to yeah. wear designer clothes and they have to be well-dressed all the time. Even Peter Parker's well-dressed, even though... He's a nerd. So he's a very well-dressed nerd, I suppose. (laughs) The age range thing doesn't really make a lot of sense. So it's like eight to ten years since Harry and Peter have seen each other. And they were good friends when they were kids. Which, again, doesn't track with the first film because it's Oscorp. Oh yes, that's that place that my best friend from childhood's dad owns. Yeah. (laughs) How were they friends? How could they be friends? Because they don't roll in the same circles. Peter's not wealthy. Harry wouldn't be at his school, would he? So you have to question, how did they know each other? I suppose through their dads, because they work together, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's probably it. But you think it would have come up in the first film at some point. It's like, eh, yeah. I used to know him. <laughs> I used to know this family. That's frustrating about the lack of Osborne in the first movie, is that Harry and Peter's friendship in this movie is gorgeous. And it just kind of appears out of nowhere. Even though they are very good at making it feel like they've been friends for ages and they've just reunited. They are very good at it. And I believe them. But when you sit back and look at it, you're like, bitch, where? (laughs) (laughs) In the plot, when you look at the writing, you're like, what? (laughs) The suggestion in the first one is that Richard Parker didn't really know Norman Osborn. It was Connors that was his friend. Right, yeah. And even Connors talks about, I'm really sorry I'd never got in touch with your family after whatever happened to your parents. So that's 
what I took from that, and maybe Norman Osborne is this corporate overseer that they know of, but they don't know. And yeah. then suddenly, yeah, you've got a pre-existing friendship with Harry. And you have to do that because otherwise it has to get built from the ground up, mm. which they could have done, but I guess not. But yeah, this the scenes that they share together work. They don't share that many. There's, what, two? Three, if you include the scene where Peter Spider-Man. The refusing the blood thing, yeah. Yeah, you've got the reconnection scene. Yeah. Which I really like, the bit where Peter says, do you still blow dry your hair every morning? And it's yeah. like, and you got your braces out, now there's nothing to distract from your unibrow. And it's like, I don't believe Andrew Garfield <laughs> ever really had a <laughs> I don't believe there was ever a point where Andrew Garfield wasn't handsome, but okay, we'll accept that because he's Peter <laughs> Parker. Therefore, he must have had some issues when growing up. <laughs> and it's the, I get one of my manservants to... To hold the hairdryer, but I work the comb. That was really <laughs> sweet. And then he goes up for the, the hug... Makes me very happy. The way that Peter keeps sort of like edging forwards and backwards in the scene, just like, I want to come hug you. I don't think you want that. And then, you know, Harry finally puts out the olive branch for him and he's like, yeah, yeah, get him my hug. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then they have their scene at the waterfront, which is a really good scene. Apart from Andrew Garfield trying to decide whether he's going to put on a New York accent or not. Yeah, I didn't to that. <laughs> <laughs> It's very awkward. <laughs> that's funny. But it's a good scene, and it's that bit where it's, Spider-Man, that's weird, isn't it? And he's like, no, I kind of think that Spider-Man gives people hope. Oh, yeah, and we don't know if it's a woman. Uh, I know nothing about Spider-Man. I've just taken his photo, or her, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, but stop <laughs> talking about Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I, a bit... Obvious script wise, but Spider Man does that. Pretty much every Spider Man has one of those super obvious moments that, what? Spider Man, what? (laughs) (laughs) Which is just kind of typically funny. (laughs) Peter, you just missed him. He was here a minute ago. Yeah. He weren't. (laughs) He blinked and he missed him, man. (laughs) You don't get very much of that in this film because pretty much everyone knows his secret and he doesn't really spend any time with some people that don't. And Aunt May knows his secret. She must. Yeah, she does. That whole cleaning the chimney nonsense. Either that or she thinks her nephew's insane. Yeah, yeah he's just mental. Yeah. Bless. <laughs> but I do like that scene where he's in costume and May's like, I'm coming in. And he's like, don't come in, I'm naked. <laughs> I just noticed that I've written in my notes. I really like that they're young adults in this one because it fits the sort of college vibes that they give off more. And then I wrote, oh, by the way, Harry, you're going to go moldy. Lots of love. Dad, kiss, kiss. But then after that, I wrote risk assessment in all caps, okay. <laughs> which I can't actually figure out what I meant by that. Maybe with the blood and stuff. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> no, I can't figure it out. Something to do with him getting that little memory drive, his dad dying, him getting the memory drive and then going to the board meeting. At some point, my brain went risk assessment. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know what. Oh, it's probably him saying that he's going to experiment on himself to tr- find the cure or something like that. And I was probably like, oh, risk assessment. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange Yeah, it's, strange it's weird. Yeah. There's a lot of sciencing that doesn't happen in this movie, which is kind of annoying. And the cool secret train base doesn't make up for it. It's very cool. It's very sort of national treasure. But it doesn't make up for the lack of actual scientific thinking in this movie. I really hate that. And there's so many logical questions around that as well. It's the tokens are hidden in a calculator. Are these special subway tokens? Why do you have to hide them in a calculator if that's the case? And if they're specially made subway tokens, 
what happens when you run out? Does that mean you just can't get to your lab anymore? Is that what <laughs> happens here? So Richard Parker's like, I'm only going to go back to this lab like 50 times and then I'm abandoning it. <laughs> and where did he get the funding for this? He's made a lab inside a train car that's in some abandoned subway tunnel. It's so many questions. Dr. Connor's sewer lab, that looked a bit more smashed together. Yeah, thrown together by, yeah. Yeah, whereas this one was national treasure levels of bullshit in this underground secret station, which I think if someone had found that in an entirely different unrelated movie, I would have been like, wow. And in this one, I was like, why? (laughs) But it has to make sense in context that it just doesn't. It's this secret lab that his dad had for some reason. And he was able to transfer files in whatever year the flashback was set in from an airplane Using his Sony bio Using computer. Ethernet in an airplane. Yeah. Right, that really annoyed me. I liked the backstory scene. I felt it built nicely from the first film. But why was the Ethernet still running during the plane crash? That doesn't make any sense. It was just really annoying. You know, it was like the time pressure thing. They keep reaching for the laptop. We've got to make sure this happens. But it just wouldn't have. The plane is crashing. There's no internet. <laughs> It was really dumb. Yeah. Also, his dad's like, we have to fly away. We have to get away from here. We have to hide. I'm going to charter a private jet. Yeah. That's a good way to stay hidden. That's that's a great way to stay hidden. Also, why would you get on a jet with a co-pilot you don't know? If it's meant to be that secret and he's hired the captain specifically, where did this co-pilot come from and how did he not notice? There's only the four of them on the plane. Also, Richard Parker clearly knew the risks, right? Because he saw what was happening and thought, I've got to get the hell out of here. I'm going to dump my son with my brother and his wife and Mm. we'll lay low for a while and hopefully this will all blow over, I guess, was their plan. But he was aware of that initially. He was aware that that could happen. So why is he working for Oscorp knowing that this happens? Is it just every now and again an employee will go missing? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, it's clearly something that they get on with because they do it to Max. And they try to do it to Gwen as well. But as soon as she leaves the building, she's safe, apparently. It never comes up again that she's in danger from Oscorp because she's outside the building. Yeah, there's just a a lot going on that it just doesn't add up. Also, wouldn't it have just made a lot more sense if he'd broken the calculator and found like a hidden memory stick or SD card or even like a, like yeah. a floppy disk or something? That would have made so much more sense. Yeah, because he said he was uploading the research to Roosevelt yeah. in the initial scene. But all we saw was that video of his confession. Yeah, so is we didn't Peter get anything, anything with that research? Yeah. It's just pointless. But the thing is, there's a lot of things they don't 
flesh out. So they tell you that Peter's at college. Fine. Mm. What's he doing there? <laughs> what is he studying? Because we don't get a single scene of him at college. He just says that he goes there. And yeah. is being Spider-Man impacting that? You get a sense that the double life has some impact on him by the opening scene, even though it's what graduation starts in five minutes and he's just having a swing about, just, yeah, what's going on in New York? I'm going to yeah. do some stuff. Graduation st- ceremony has already started. My girlfriend's about to do the speech, but it's fine. Just muck about, yeah. Robbery. It would make more sense if he was on his way to graduation and then yeah. something happened. He's like, oh, no, I'm going to be so late. Because that's yeah. Spider-Man. That's what happens to him. Yeah. As opposed to, yeah, I'm just out for a swing just to see what's going on. Hopefully there'll be some chaos I can get involved in. Just, <laughs> come on, Peter, what are you playing at here? Yeah. The film is poorly written. That's the problem. Yeah, I agree. It's written by the same idiots that wrote Star Trek Into Darkness, which is one of my least favourite films of all time. I quite like that, but I haven't watched it in ages. It also has magic blood. It does. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. (laughs) Same writers, magic blood, same lack of common sense happening routinely. When I heard they were writing The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I was thinking, I'm going to hate this. And I was right. I don't hate it. There are things about it I like and... A lot that I don't like about it. So there's some individual elements, I guess, that I think work really well, such as the, the Peter and Gwen scenes. Or there's another little heroic display from Peter as Spider-Man where he saves a kid from bullies. And then he's yeah. like, oh, this is a wind turbine. That's so cool. I'm going to fix this for you. I'm going to walk you Aww. home. And That's cute. It's a great little scene. Again, it's the friendly neighbourhood hero, isn't it? That's mm. what Spider-Man is. No job is too small for Spider-Man. That's the yeah. comfort that you can take from that, I suppose. Then that kid shows up later. Yeah, I think overall it's kind of badly written, but there's some really nice like details in yeah. the chemistry between them and little lines and moments like that. His Spider-Man theme tune ringtone, that's cute. <laughs> I love it when people do that in like, movies. <laughs> but I have a question about that. that as well. Yeah. That music is clearly something that exists in that universe because he has, yeah. has a ringtone. What is it in that universe? Because in the Raimi films, they had a busker came up with something similar to the Spider-Man theme. Oh, right, yeah. Which is fine. It exists in-universe because a busker came up with it and then it was just, I guess, made its way around New York somehow Mm. because it's a different busker in Spider-Man 2 that uses it. But in this, it's just his ringtone. So where did he get it from? (laughs) And then in the Holland movies, it's just part of the soundtrack. It doesn't seem to exist in there. But yeah, he's like whistling his own theme tune as he's (laughs) humiliating the rhino. I like the idea that it's like a super basic ringtone, you know, like a Nokia or something, like yeah. that kind of thing, but he just gets it stuck in his head. It's yeah. not anything to do with Spider-Man. Everyone knows that Spider-Man has that kind of phone because he's constantly whistling it to himself. <laughs> I mean, it may just be a tune that he likes, but yeah, you're obviously supposed to make that connection, which is fine, mm. I suppose. But again, it's, it's just one of those things that sticks out because it just annoys me because what is this? Where did you get this music from and why is it your ringtone? I think one glaring flaw with this film is that we've spent quite a while talking about this film and we haven't brought up Electro slash Max once. Yes. He's not married into the plot particularly. No. It's a bit weird. He's a strange character. So at first, and there's a particular scene that turns him around completely, but at first it seems like, oh yeah, he's just a guy that gets stood on at work. He has his difficulties. People don't really like him or he's a bit weird. A bit like Peter, I suppose, in the first film, in a way. Yeah. 
There's something just a bit odd about this guy and people don't respond well to him. And then he has a shrine to Spider-Man in his apartment and pretends to talk to him. And it's like, oh, got it. He's crazy. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's kind of a bit messed up. And it's kind of confusing. Obviously, we're meant to feel for him in some ways. But what is our stance meant to be on this guy? Because we see him and we're like, oh, shit, he's always struggling at work, doesn't have friends. They've stolen his work from him. That's awful. They're going to just bury his name. But at the same time... He's got a Spider-Man shrine. <laughs> and he's obviously kind of messed up. And that was before any of the Electro stuff happened. What moral weight does he have when we know yeah. that he's a creep and that if he wasn't obsessing over Spider-Man, he could probably be stalking some young person or something. It could have been significantly more awful than just being obsessed with a hero. He might be doing that. We don't know. We, you would we have could be. Yeah. But with that... Undertone, it just feels really weird. We're supposed to empathise with him, but he's creep. But if you cut that scene in his apartment, he can be sympathetic. Yeah. If you just cut it completely, then he's sympathetic because you see him just getting stood on at work. His boss is like, we're all leaving for the day, but something's broken and you have to fix it. Sorry. Yeah, and it's literally the idea that he invented this thing, he's not getting credit, everyone gets a day off because Osborne died and he has to stay behind and fix this thing which is probably a technician's job, not his job. That could just be the reason that he's so annoyed. And also kind of the idea that Spider-Man doesn't remember him. Because that would kind of make you feel a bit special. But he doesn't have to be obsessed with him. I don't get it. He doesn't hold any weight for that to matter to anyone but the audience. So why? If that makes sense. Yeah, and it's when he gets saved by Spider-Man. It's like, you're my eyes and ears out here. And he clearly takes that to heart. And then it's yeah. later on in Times Square when it's like, you don't remember? And he's like, of course I remember you. What's your name again? Uh, and he's like, it's Max. And he's like, yeah, Max. Yeah, that's it. I remember. And you're my eyes and ears. It does come back to him, I suppose. Yeah, but- which is nice. I think Electro would have just killed me because I would have been like, dude, I'm terrible with faces. Sorry, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wouldn't have handled that uh, very well. Also, you're blue and weird now. I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the, the face doesn't quite fit with me here. I save a lot of people. <laughs> you know what's frustrating about that bit after he becomes electro and i've written in my notes god these police officers are terrible at following orders because i hear them shouting hold your fire and there's still like a bunch of gunshots going off after that is said no one's fucking (laughs) listening (laughs) and then i just wrote police hate de-escalating any situation it's awful literally there is nothing any policeman has done in any of these kinds of movies have they ever tried to de-escalate any of these situations which is uh, annoying i mean i get the guy is blue and glowing but what's the point in antagonizing the dude obviously he's got more power than you do why not try (laughs) talking to him they never learn also it's pretty clear that spidey's making some headway yeah He's calming him down. Follow that lead. I mean, it's probably pretty indicative of the American police force, but it's really frustrating. Because it only looked hostile because he accidentally stood on a grate and like shocked himself. And then that's what made it look like a hostile move. But just give it a second. Yeah. Because Spidey was getting the job done. It was like, right, calm down. We're going to go somewhere. We're going to figure this out. We'll do this together. And, And he was about to do it. And then after that, he just becomes a villain because character motivations character development isn't a thing in the movie it's just yeah. we have to get somewhere that sniper got what was coming to him yeah did you really think that bullet was gonna fucking work come on spider-man was getting somewhere what you won like, <laughs> it's so annoying and also because of peter's whole speech we'll figure it out together why didn't he give that opportunity to harry yeah makes exactly. no sense yeah. 
<laughs> it's almost like the film's badly written. But I do like the Times Square scene for a lot of reasons. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I love Spider-Man's entrance where he stops the car and he says, I'm glad you're not one of those cops that rides a horse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was really life. funny. The quips in this movie are 10 out of 10. There's some great quips. Uh, what is it? The bit in the car at the beginning, he's like, hi, Mr. Criminal or something like yeah. as he pops over the window. <laughs> but that's annoying because he's just goofing off when... He's tearing through people and killing people and whatever. He saves exactly one person in that scene. A bunch of people died in that first scene. A huge pileup. Cars went flipping everywhere. There's a video, I think it was on Polygon on YouTube, where they were like, Spider-Man doesn't kill anyone. And they were basically analysing all of Spider-Man's totally not fatal fight finishes in the Spider-Man PS4 game. Because it's kind of a similar to sort of Assassin's Creed type game, but it's Spider-Man and it's like, ah yes, beating up these people in this way definitely wouldn't kill them or wound them mortally. It's <laughs> fine! Throwing this guy off a building wouldn't kill him. It's fine! Well, in the PS4 game, actually, if you throw someone off a building and then you go and check, you'll see that they're webbed to the side of the building. <laughs> nice. <laughs> It's a nice little touch. It's like, I don't know how that happened, but that happened. But yes, he's definitely killing people. He has strength. In Spider-Man 2, for example, when he's fighting Doc Ock, Doc Ock doesn't have enhanced strength. You punch that guy in the face, it's over. Game over. You cannot withstand that. If he doesn't block it with his tentacles, he will be knocked out. You might knock his head off, even. (laughs) He wouldn't survive that, or he wouldn't come away from that just able to act afterwards. But when he's fighting people with powers, it's fine. I suppose. Mm. But yeah, that opening sequence where he's just goofing off while Rhino's, well, uh, Rhino as he is, is just tearing through traffic, just ramming through stuff. And he's just, yeah. oh, yeah, I'll be back in a minute. And then he swings away from the destruction for no reason. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get what was going on there. I think movies are getting a little bit more conscious of that kind of thing. The amount of damage they did in 2012 Avengers and in the Fantastic Four movies and stuff compared to the bus scene in Shang-Chi. You definitely feel like they're trying to protect as many people as possible. Yeah, but also collateral damage is a thing. That's fine. Uh, Yeah, definitely. You can't solve everything. You can't stop everything. And Spider-Man can't. That's why, um, what is it? Civil War is so fucking annoying. (laughs) Oh, oh, we caused damage. Never mind the alien invasion and the nuke you sent to New York. Fuck (laughs) y'all. Well, that was S.H.I.E.L.D. We don't associate with S.H.I.E.L.D. We did yeah, no, fuck that. <laughs> I understand that Peter can't stop everything in that sequence. It's just that he doesn't seem to care how much damage is getting done yeah. because he's too busy having a good time, which yeah. is a bit iffy. There are some good little heroic <laughs> moments in that scene. I like when all the criminals rock up with their guns and he webs every individual gun out of their hands very yeah. quickly. and things. Like he saves Max, but there's people that probably get crushed by that car that he stops from hitting him, yeah. stuff like that. And I have to laugh at the bit where the plutonium's about to fall out of the truck and he, he swings yeah. in and then he's just using every sticky part of his body to try and grab it. I like that. I love that. Got you, that got this, really got good. this. Yeah. And, and then There's he's some... like, and then the one falls out of the truck and he's like, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> There's some brilliant, cartoony, dynamic fun. I feel like that is sort of on par with, you know, in Spider-Verse, where they're all kind of like crawling on the ceiling together, trying to hide from his flatmate. I feel like there's a lot of fun. He definitely moves a lot more like a spider than the other ones, like you said last time, which is really nice. This is the best swinging we've seen, even to date. It's so good. Like when he's swinging through Mm. the city and 
Not the opening Although scene, I gotta the say, I, I made a note of this. In the first swinging sort of montage bit at the beginning, there's one really uncomfortable shot. To me, I get vertigo from these kinds of things, which is fine. I can enjoy them, but I, I do kind of get dizzy. One was really weird. The camera was angled as if it was strapped to his crotch looking up at him. <laughs> and I was like, we don't need this view. I get it when they do it from his point of view and you see the feet come up in front of you and flips and everything. That's cool. Why do we need crotch cam, Spidey? That's weird. Wasn't a vibe with that particular shot. It was gorgeous. Not that shot. The whole montage was great, but didn't really need it from his dick's point of view, you know? (laughs) Why was that a thing? What made the cinematographer go, you know what this stunt needs? Dick cam. (laughs) (laughs) You see him climbing up his web when he's swinging and just doing all these acrobatics in the air and stuff. It's really good. Although it's... Very questionable where he starts from. What did he jump from? Because he's up (laughs) higher than any of the buildings. Did he jump out of a plane? Was he on a helicopter? I have no idea. But it's a cool sequence. I do like that opening sequence, even though, yeah, a lot of people die and you don't seem to care. (laughs) When he swings past the group of people and he's like, hello, pedestrians. He's just having a good time, which if less people died, I would be okay with, I suppose. If he wasn't so cavalier about how much damage he was causing. And then you have that later montage where you see him doing stuff and the cuts to him getting back to his room and he's covered in feathers or he has a fish for some reason. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love the bit where he's rolling around on the ceiling trying to get his suit off. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah, it's good. I think Tom Holland does something similar in one of his... It's great. I love that. Because yeah. I also just watching that scene, I totally believe it. And then when I'm trying to analyze the film in any way, I'm like, oh, they've got like a whole set of that bedroom that turns over and is really mm. cool, you know? Yeah, it's <laughs> I really love good. that. Uh, we've already said, but I love the Times Square sequence where Electro goes nuts and then the, the action freezes and he sees the, okay, I've got to save that guy, really I've got to cool. save that guy, I've got to do yeah. this. And it's like him puzzling it out. That's a different interpretation of his spider sense. He's aware of the space. He's aware of all the yeah. danger. He needs to know what to do. Then he puts up the net to stop the car and he's got one busted web shooter so he has to guide a web to grab someone's hand and then grab someone else's hand and then he lands. What I didn't like necessarily about that is the triumphant music cue when he lands. It's like, okay, I get it. He's done something cool, but we don't need you to signpost it in quite that way. Yeah. yeah every time he does something, you get this bombastic music. It's like, come on. <laughs> Let the action speak for itself a little bit. The music was interesting. I really liked some of the powerful sort of emotional music that played for Electro, but then Mm. when it had singing on it, not a vibe. His internal monologue, yeah. If you listen to the lyrics, it's what's going through his mind. It's an interesting choice. I think the music is it's good. Interesting. It's interesting. I like the sound of the music. I thought it was a bit too obvious with the, yeah. the lyrics on it. I don't really like that. I, I feel like listening to it, it just kind of reminded me of uh you know in lego batman he sings it in in lego the movie lego when he's yeah. like darkness yeah. no parents <laughs> yeah and electro's just dubstep isn't he yeah yeah whenever that sort of happens i just kind of think of lego batman <laughs> i like spider-man's theme though in the film i think it's a really strong yeah. theme for spider-man like, we love the music the music in the first one. I think we said that last time. And it's really good this time. I wish they'd carried his theme into that one, actually. I wish they'd made it, this is his music, but it's not. Mm. It just changes. Which is fine, because it, it all sounds good, but I, 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, I would have liked a bit more continuity. It almost feels like this film isn't really a sequel to the first one in a lot of ways. Yeah. The costume is still the best Spider Man costume put on film. I like it. Yeah, I really like it. I love the long spider. I think it looks really nice. Yeah, it's a gorgeous costume. And experimenting with the electro webs was really nice. That was a good sequence. Yeah. That was really good. I'm trying to make the conductive webs. I love it when the web just sets on fire and he's like, shit, because that's hilarious. <laughs> and Gwen getting it right afterwards. It blows up so many batteries. It's really good. It blows up the big one <laughs> and then he's waiting for it to, you know. And then it's a bit more of what we talked about last time. He like sleeps in the corner. On the in his ceiling. little hammock, yeah. in his little spider hammock, it's so cute. I love that. And he's using his <laughs> really... old web shooters in that as well. It's, you see them on his wrist, the kind of wrist. I don't know what they're oh, called. Yeah, yeah. Those trendy things that he puts his web shooters on. Mm. Yeah, it's a little detail, it's but cool. I, I quite liked it. Just watch yeah. his YouTube videos to try and figure out how to do the thing, and it's you're gonna need a bigger battery. <laughs> and then, <laughs> did you try magnetizing them? Nope, I did not try that. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just openly chat about his secret identity in front of a cop. That's why you were number two at Midtown. The cop's (laughs) right there. (laughs) (laughs) That could have been the setup for the next one. He could have turned into Sandman or something. I don't know. (laughs) And then he webs her to the car and she's like, Peter! And oops. (laughs) Yeah, I love that moment where she's like, Peter! And then she covers her mouth like, I can't believe I just fucking did that. It's so funny. I think that moment was in the trailer and it always made me laugh. It was really good. I like that. It's the bit with the megaphone as well, where the cop shouts, Spider-Man! And then he's like, whoa! And then, like, am I talking louder than I usually talk right now? And Gwen's like, yeah. yeah. She's a bit yeah. embarrassed. Shut up. <laughs> my hero. I'm just an idiot. He's, oh, I love that. It's really cute. The quips are good. The quips are The comedy great. works. and It's like I yeah, said last definitely. time, Andrew Garfield takes better to it than Tobey Maguire did. Mm, yeah, I guess it's just because he's more grown up, but he's got a little bit of a meaner edge to him. You know, like with sometimes how he cheats Gwen and sometimes the quips seem a bit sharp, particularly because of when he starts doing the quips is when he's hunting for Ben's killer. He's yeah. not actually helping, he's hunting. And so it comes from a bit of a sharp place, but he is really funny in the second one. Whereas when Tom Holland does it, he's just so pure, you know? He's like, do you guys remember that old movie with the <laughs> Star Wars? And they're just like, oh my God, how old is this guy? And he's yeah. just like, whoa. <laughs> just big Gen Z energy. I love it. Definitely seems the quips come from more like a place of innocence instead of wit. I like the difference between the two of them. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been in a fight anymore, but there's usually not this much talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
oh, okay, my bad. Like, <laughs> I'm kind of excited to see them meet up because usually when Spider-Man meet up, like in Spider-Verse, they tend to gel to each other because they can sort of sense each other really easily. Mm. They sort of fall into step quite nicely. So I wonder what kind of battle scene banter we're going to get in No Way Home. If they meet, of course. If. if they be, yeah, 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 of course. I mean, it's already been confirmed, essentially, that Eddie Brock is wandering about somewhere during No Way Home. He's now <laughs> yeah. in that universe yeah. with Venom, so maybe we'll get some of those witty bants. Um, but yeah, it would be great to see how they vibe during the fights, because when the Spider-Man all fight together into the Spider-Verse, I just love the different way they all talk. Noir's just there like, we don't pick the dance floor, we just dance. <laughs> and Spider-Ham's just like, you don't like cartoons? <laughs> They're all so good together, but they just kind of instantly vibe because they are inherently Spider-Man. And I hope we get some nice in sync, but like they're all individual. I hope they balance that nicely. Yeah, hopefully. I'm sure they will, because yeah. they are individual anyway. But Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think the Spider Man persona in this film is all right. Yeah, I do agree that he can be a bit mean spirited sometimes. Especially to Rhino at the start. He just like he's funny, him. yeah, but he's he's a bit sort of sharp. There's a bit of an edge to his comedy. He comes across as a bit more traumatized than the others. Yeah. But in like a darker way than like a I'm sad Tom Holland way. In respect to Max as well, after the Times Square scene really he stops being a character, he just becomes a bit of a function of the plot. It's the I need to threaten the city at some point and I'll do that. And then he gets tortured in Ravencroft by Dr. Kafka and that's a bit Batman and Robin to me. It's very over the top. It was just a bit weird. But then again, I guess it does put him there for Harry to ask for his help. Harry's character's already been kind of thrown out the window by this point. I need to get back into Oscorp, so I'm going to free this crazy guy from a mental institution. Oh, here's a major plot hole that really fucking annoyed me. There's something I did not remember at all until I rewatched it. The bio suit, the goblin suit, that works with your body, heals him. He gets in the suit and it heals him. So surely it's got some kind of biotech that keeps soldiers alive, because I'm assuming that's what it was built for. So why in his research on these like hidden files, where he saw that suit, because it was hinted at on the screen, why didn't he go looking for the magical Healy soldier suit? <laughs> why didn't he go looking for that? It's like, oh, this suit can take all your biometrics and it can heal you. Why didn't he go looking for that instead of bothering with Spider-Man? Surely at least you could just pop into the suit for a few hours or to like sleep in it to get your nightly healing dose from the goblin rot or whatever while you figure out a proper cure. It's like really annoying. It wouldn't necessarily cure a virus, but yeah, well, he could have gone looking for it anyway just to see what was going on. No, yeah, but the thing is, obviously it's not going to cure him permanently or whatever. I imagine he can't really exist without it from this point. The sort of desperation is what I kind of assume it feels like, particularly after he took the spider venom and fucked himself up that way. <laughs> Just going to thoughtlessly inject this into myself and see what happens. Yeah, and it's going to accelerate the <laughs> goblin rot and now I'm evil. But it reverses some of those effects. You see it heal him. So it's obviously got something in there that keeps whatever soldier is operating the suit alive. And so why put that in there if the major plot is 
Spider-Man didn't help me get a cure, so now I hate Spider-Man. You already had something that was going to prolong your life while you found a cure. That immediately took the time pressure away and just invalidated the whole thing. Yeah. Also, you have decades. You yeah. don't need to behave so urgently with all this. It's not as if you're going to die next week. You've got time here. Yeah, I get his initial franticness, but he should have just fallen into reckless sort of, you know, like that kind of despair, fuck it kind of way. It's not like immediate, but I don't know, something's going to kill me eventually. I don't know if you've seen the Netflix Jessica Jones series? Yes. I haven't seen the third, so yeah. Oh no, I'm not going to watch the third season. The second season broke me. But the second <laughs> season, when Carrie Ann Moss's character finds out that she's terminally ill, she just goes nuts and decides that she's going to just have a good time. Which <laughs> yeah. you could have had with Harry to an extent. It could have been, well, screw it. I'm just going to go off the rails because nothing to live for or whatever. But again, they don't characterise him in that way. And I did see an interesting reading of this film series in general a while ago. It was ages ago. I can't remember who said it. But they said what you've got is Peter Parker, handsome, well-adjusted, popular kid, beats up disabled people. In the first film, yeah. guy with one arm, an amputee. The, the second film, someone who's mentally ill and a terminally ill guy. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> that does make a point. Stop casting disabilities and neurodivergencies as evil, please. And mental illnesses as evil. Yeah, couldn't Max have just been someone who feels invisible? That's enough. Could just been a dude that got angry. Yeah. Doesn't have to have some kind of disorder feeling invisible is perfectly relatable as well because there's a lot of people out there who'll be like well i'm unappreciated at work and maybe i'm not as handsome as other people around me i don't have that level of self-confidence i wish i had more friends all that stuff i think that's all really good but do we really need to give him a thinning hairline and a gap in his teeth it's when he gets his powers as well the teeth gap fixes itself what is this <laughs> what are you saying with this that people that have gaps in their teeth are something that needs to be fixed who cares it's just yeah it's very bizarre also why do you have an open tank of eels that people can easily fall into yeah why don't you have a proper system for getting over that barrier to that (laughs) that's like a joint in like major pipes so it's got to be accessible in some way did it get unplugged (laughs) how did that happen yeah and also i don't know if it was just for like the visuals but the pipe he's holding on to when he falls in and he's still holding onto it as a gas pipe. He's up there, he gets electrocuted by the electric one, but then I don't understand why visually he pulls the gas pipe down with him. I feel like it would have just made more sense for him to pull the electric one down with him as well to add to the electricity. That was just a bit of an odd choice for me. It looked good, but because it was just a gas pipe, I was like, that's not actually adding any danger to this scenario. But what's interesting is I told a friend that I was recording this episode and they were like, oh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, that's my friend's absolute favourite Spider-Man film. And I was like... We're tearing it to pieces. (laughs) Oh. They were like, what, is it really bad? And I was like, well, no, it's not really bad. It just when you get into it, it's not great. When you talk about it in depth like we are, there's things that just don't add up and things that could be better, but it doesn't mean it's not enjoyable every moment andrew's on camera i'm i'm happy pretty much (laughs) just i'd love to watch his face while he acts i think he's a brilliant person the action is routinely excellent as well 
It is, yeah. I think the visuals are great. I love that scene where he's distracting Electro while Gwen does her stuff and swinging about. It's just so fast-paced. It's so kinetic. It's so brilliant. Pretty much the only thing I remember from when I first saw it is that on the tram home from the cinema, I was like, oh, I really like the bit when he was swinging around the Tesla coils and he was playing Inty Wincy Spider on it, kind of like Sorcerer's Apprentice style. And they were like, is that what was happening? I was like, yeah, did you not hear him play Incy Wincy Spider? And then he goes, I hate the song. And they were like, I didn't click that. And I was like, it wasn't subtle. <laughs> they just didn't hear the Incy Wincy. <laughs> he even says, I hate that song. Yeah, yeah, I was like, how did you not get that? <laughs> that was really funny to me. <laughs> I love that bit because it reminds me so much of Sorcerer's Apprentice. And I love that film. I love that film too. Cage. Good vibes. <laughs> the issue I have in that scene is he kills Electro. And again, there's no remorse. He kills him. Electro's dead after that point. Yeah. He's like, oh, I didn't want to do that. Oh, that was awful. And it's when he falls down after he's been electrocuted several times and he's like, oh, it's just your bones and your organs and whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. It, yeah, it reminds me of a line in Spectacular Spider-Man, actually, that cartoon that I love that everybody should watch. Oh, right, yeah. There's an episode where he's fighting the Green Goblin and he gets pummeled a lot and he falls on the ground. He's like, all this pain just means you're still alive. <laughs> Aww. It reminds me I of that, that line. kind of stuff, yeah. yeah. The one in Spectacular Spider-Man's a better line, but yeah. And then it's like, yeah. we think we can still make your flight. Uh, no, you can't mm-hmm. because here comes Harry. I feel like the film's over, but here's Harry <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. yeah. Here's Harry. Yeah, just more last minute thing. At least Dr. Connor had a bit more development than Electro and Goblin in this one. It was strange. They went deep into little things. The level of threat in that whole sequence annoys me because it's like, okay, the city's under a complete blackout because Electro's controlling all the power. That's threatening yeah. enough, but we've got mid-air collisions about to happen. What can Spider-Man do about that? <laughs> yeah, that was annoying. What is the point? What is the point? Also, do flight paths always cut it that close? I wouldn't think so. Also, would they not see a plane? Why would you on? ever have two commercial aeroplanes coming at each other at any point in time. Yeah. Especially if they're going to the same airport. (laughs) That makes no sense. Yeah. I know they can't see, but the flight path wouldn't be that stupid. (laughs) They'd approach the city from similar angles. Yeah. It's not like they're flying into that super dangerous airport in, I think there's a city in China or something where they literally have to bank the plane in between two buildings and then like turn a corner. It's a super dangerous airport. But it's not. It's just fine. The flight pattern wouldn't happen. It doesn't make any sense. Spider-Man has nothing directly that he can do about that. He doesn't even know what's happening. He doesn't know. It's nothing to do with him. He can't see it. And he'll probably never hear about it until he gets on his phone a few days later. Yeah, and we have to cut periodically to Aunt May running around the hospital acting like she owns the place, even though she's a medical student for some reason. Why is she a medical student or a nursing student or whoever it is? Why is that in here other than to establish that they have no money? But she's just running about and it's like, oh no, there's no power. I'll get the battery powered defibrillator or whatever. And then the power comes out and she's like, right, everybody back to work. Who the hell are you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also, I don't care about Aunt May in a hospital trying to get on with stuff. Just keep the action confined to what Peter's doing. That's enough. Yeah, we didn't need any of that, really. I guess it's nice to see a bit of Aunt May, but there's 
no point. Uh, it's just a bit weird. There's a similar line in a storyline for Electro in Ultimate Spider-Man. They think he's gone, but actually he went into the mains electricity. Or he's attacking them and then they electrocute him and they think they've overloaded him, but he just goes into the mains, so then they have to really overload him to get rid of him. I think Ultimate Spider-Man probably handled that a lot better than this one did, because it didn't make any sense. I feel like it had gotten too out of hand for them to have actually fixed it, but they fixed it, mm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's certainly the, the case here. Peter only knows about one thing. He knows about the thing that he's currently dealing with. Okay, there's planes that can't land. That's a problem, but it's not his problem. Literally not his problem in any way. If he can get the power back, he will, which he does, but... Mm. It's not something that you can do something about. It's not as if someone said, hey, Spider-Man, there's planes about to hit each other. You need to help. It's like, well, I'm down here. <laughs> I don't know how to get up there. I can't fly. I'm just a guy. Yeah. There are people who are trained to help planes not crash. That's not me. <laughs> yeah. Also, the pilots, I don't know. Could they not just... Because the thing is, if you feel like you might be on a mid-air collision course with another plane, surely you could just fly up or down a little bit because the chances of that other plane going to the same trajectory are very slim. In fact, almost infinitesimally small. Yeah, I feel like it would have been much safer for one of them to have... You know when they tell them to avoid each other? I know it's not quite as cinematic as them both banking, but it would have been much better if this ever happened for one to fly up and the one to drop a bit more. Because you're less likely to injure half the people on the plane. I mean, I know the turbulent signs are probably already on by this point, and everyone's supposed to be strapped in, but that's really dangerous! (laughs) It doesn't make any sense! And, like, what if they both hadn't done it in time, and they clip the upper wings of each other, and they both just spiral out of control down into New York? Like, (laughs) oops! (laughs) I wonder if they were trying to emulate the Dark Knight boat sequence in some way, but... They couldn't because no. there was nothing going on on the planes other than they were about to hit each other. That was it. <laughs> For some reason. It's just pointless. And as much as I dislike the fight or the result of the fight between Peter and Harry, I actually quite liked the desperation involved in it, how fast-paced it was, how he was desperately trying to make sure Gwen was okay. It was holding on to the web yeah. while sticking his foot in the gears was, of the clock. Yeah, it was good action. Yeah. yeah. And it was a great setting. I love the clock. It was very cool. I just wish it hadn't ended in Gwen dying. It just ruined the whole thing. But it was a very cool setting, very cool fight. To this day, that crunch noise she makes when she hits the ground, that's brutal. It is. It's awful. It's really bad. What did I write exactly in my notes? I wrote, also, ouch, fuck, in all caps. (laughs) 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 I also wrote, he does sad very well, Andrew Garfield, but there was no need, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a little trickle of blood that runs out of her nose as well. It's... You're really yeah. laying this on a bit thick. You've, you've definitely killed her. That's definitely happened. Yeah, that, it's, yeah it's that crunch. It's just, ugh. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. S- snap. Yeah. <laughs> oh, snap. The problem is they don't deal with her death properly either. It just happens and then we fast forward a bit. Who finds yeah. them? What's the explanation behind what happened here? Is Spider-Man blamed yeah. for her death? There's nothing to it. It's just you go from that and then you see... Peter standing in front of her grave over seasons. And then they get the funeral and Spider-Man's disappeared because he's too sad to Spider-Man. Yeah. That was essentially the end of the first one. What's the point? I actually like the the way that Andrew Garfield portrays the grief. 
just with him oh, being very yeah. quiet and reserved and cut off and unable to accept yeah. it. And it's the bit where I think they're watching the TV and it's like, crime is up a million percent. And we're wondering where Spider-Man <laughs> is. And and he walks away and May says to him, what are you doing? He's like, I'm eating my cereal. But he barely says it. He yeah. doesn't quite get the words out. And she gives him the advice about, look, I know about loss. I'm trying to get things organised. I'm going to get this stuff that was Ben's stuff and I'm going to put it away. I'm going to take one last look and find a better place for it. And she's basically telling him, the city needs Spider-Man and I know you're Spider-Man and you should probably get out of this funk you're in because we need Spider-Man. Then he goes and he watches the speech, which we saw earlier. (laughs) So we see it twice. Yeah. And the speech that's very much the, well, I really like being alive, but I'm also aware that life is finite. So we should... Embrace life <laughs> but, as much as we can. You know, my dad died this year, yeah. so I might die, I guess. Yeah. Rip. <laughs> I guess mortality's on our mind. And then yeah. Peter gets back to being Spider Man and all's right with the world. But if they were planning to make a third movie, which they were, I feel like if they were going to kill Gwen off, which I don't think is a bad idea, I don't think we've really had a superhero film where the love interest gets killed off in a meaningful way, actually. And so that would have mm. made it somewhat unique. But maybe she could have died at the start of the next film. And then the film is about yeah. her death rather than just tacked on at the end like it is. Yeah, because then it could have been the first one is him learning responsibility. The second one is him trying to deal with the guilt and the responsibility. And then the third one being him trying to deal with grief. That would have been an interesting arc and would have made more sense thematically to have each film with like a different focus. It's like when me and Rob were talking about Venom. As superhero movies kind of develop, they try to make too many movies at once and it's really kind of annoying. Mm. They feel like it still has to have all of the old hero stuff, but also some of the new stuff that people want. They feel like it has to have everything. If you just picked one of these genres to go down, you'd make a much better film. Like if you just went full sort of rom-com, if you went full serial killer, if you went full, I don't know, horror or something, you'd get a much more interesting film if you embrace one of these genres, but because they're trying to appeal to what they think the average superhero fan is or the long-running superhero fan is or the everyday superhero fan is you just kind of get these frustrating almost films that are fun to watch but the substance could just be so much better probably a good point to get onto the side stuff that they were trying to do so this film they were trying to set up the sinister six which they did there was that bit where how many super villains do you think we should make let's start small <laughs> and they don't say the number but <laughs> Maybe six? (laughs) Maybe five plus me? That'll be enough. Uh, Everything you need is already at Oscorp. We have our villain factory room that you can use. Apparently. Yeah, let's give this stupid rhino suit to this guy who can cause a bit of havoc. (laughs) Yeah, so they were trying to set all that up. At one point, there was going to be a Sinister Six movie that was just going to be Mm. about those villains. I can't imagine what that film would have actually been about. Yeah. What would it have been? Would it have been Harry trying to recruit them or them being like, come on, Goblin, (laughs) and him being like, "Eh, I don't know if I'm morally that dubious yet. And they were like, nah, come on, let's go do something. He's rich. Yeah, I know at one point it was supposed to be Octavius that brought them all together, but to do what? Yeah. Harry talks about, I'm going to make some villains, but why? Well, what is your motivation to make these villains? Yeah. You wanted to save yourself from dying a while ago. It's like, you're looking better. It comes and goes. Like, what? <laughs> you're just saying things now. You're not setting anything up here. Are you okay with it yeah. now? Yeah. I don't, I don't what? understand what's going on here. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the deleted scene where Peter's dad comes back. Yeah, I think so. 
I think I misremembered it as a post credit scene. What happens in it again? So basically his dad just comes back. He's like, I've never been dead. And Peter's like, where have you been my entire life? And it's just nonsense. It shouldn't have ever been filmed. But I'm glad that, that someone had the presence of mind to cut it because it is dumb. <laughs> his dad's back. And he was going to give him the whole with great power comes great responsibility line. And no, he already understands that. <laughs> he already gets it. It's not your job, bitch. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Come on, Dad. Where have you been? No, great power life. comes great responsibility. Okay, why'd you leave yeah. in a plane with a co-pilot you didn't know? Yeah. What about parental great responsibility? Power. You owe me 10 years of yeah. Christmas presents, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> Pay up, bitch. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of gifts in my past that I didn't get because you haven't been here. Where have you been all this time also? And why now? Why are you back now? Is it because this is a film and it's dramatically convenient or inconvenient? I don't know. But that was a mm. thing they were going to do. As I said, they, they thought about the whole blood transfusion, Gwen gets spider powers thing, which predates Spider-Gwen, I think. So that's an interesting one. That's cool. It's better than what happened to MJ in one of the comics. What would that be? In one of the comics, Peter kills Mary Jane with his radioactive sperm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Cancer. yeah, that's an alternate yeah. future thing. Yeah. <laughs> Mary Jane was supposed to be in this film at one point. It was all filmed. Shailene oh. Woodley was going to play Mary Jane and she was going to be Peter's neighbour. And she was in two scenes, I think, or supposed to be in two scenes that both got cut. One of them was when Gwen goes to see Peter before she is going to leave and die. I think the gist of it was that Mary Jane's just had a breakup and Gwen gives her advice to look for someone to love or something. I can't remember. If MJ was going to be introduced in this and then actually in the third one, I think it would have been nice if Gwen and Peter had decided to be friends and just stay friends. And then Gwen catches Peter looking at MJ and is like, go on, she's cute. You should talk to her. I love it when that happens. It's nice. It could have happened. I think that was the right decision again to cut her, but it's weird because they cast Shailene Woodley, who was pretty well up and coming at the time and then didn't use her. She was about to do those awful Divergent movies. Uh. Oh no, she'd just done one of them, I think. I can't remember. <laughs> Thinking back, it doesn't actually set up an awful lot, but there's just little hints that you're something else would rather be doing than telling an actual story here. And it's a mess. There's too many conflicting storylines. They could have cut quite a lot yeah, of this it's... film and made it into something watchable, but they don't. Yeah, I feel like what this one lacked in writing and probably fixed in the edit is kind of the flipped version of what happened to the Fantastic Four reboot, that the writing was probably pretty dang good, but all of it got lost on the editing and it just got ruined completely and stopped making sense. Maybe. I can't remember if there's deleted scenes because I don't have a DVD of it, but I've seen people pointing out the differences between the trailer and the corresponding scenes in the movie. And I know that happens anyway, but it was an intense difference that really changed motivations of characters and made a lot more sense and things like that. And there was behind the scenes photos of stuff that got cut and it's like, why the fuck did you cut that? <laughs> and the movie didn't make any sense. And I feel like this one lacked in writing and got brought to at least a fun and not totally disastrous state by the editing. For it to have been an all-round great movie, it needed a, a better foundation, not just a fantastic cast and great visuals. There was also a lot of problems in terms of how they marketed it because they released too much of it. Apparently something like 45 minutes of footage was released <laughs> up until the oh release of the movie. And there was this YouTube video or something that someone had made where they basically cut together all the footage into what they thought the order was that it appears in the movie. Brilliant. And Sony just yeah. kept taking it down because it was bang on, apparently. It was just spot on. Wow. There's a lot of stuff I, in the like trailer that doesn't appear in the film, such as 
another scene where Peter and Harry are talking and it's like, what do you mean they're following me? Why have Oscorp got me under surveillance? And there was a bit more with Felicia. I don't know if you know what Felicia is in the comics. I know of a Felicia in Marvel. Who is she? She's the black cat. This one. She's not a uh, villain. No, I didn't know that. She starts off as a thief and then she reforms right. because she has the hots for Spider-Man. She has a relationship with Spider-Man, but she doesn't like the Peter Parker side of him. She's more excited by the, right, yeah. the Spider-Man side of him. So mm. he embraces that for a while, and then they eventually become friends and enemies, and it flips around. So they were setting up Black Cat, kind of, by having Felicia in the film, played by Felicity yeah. Jones, mm, but she doesn't do anything. She's only in no. a couple of scenes, so it's very strange. Yeah, she's kind of just there to make Harry look like a better person than the rest of the series. Yeah. But it's quite funny how it's at the boardroom meeting and it's, what's your name? And she's like, Felicia. And it's like, well, you all answer to Felicia because Felicia works for me. Are you picking her because she's attractive and young? That's how it comes across. I kind of got the vibe that it was, well, she's obviously the overlooked secretary, so she probably actually knows what's going yeah. on. It's just no one fucking listens to her and I'm sick of that shit. Yeah. No one listens to me. So screw all you old farts. Time for the millennials to run this bitch. They're all disgusting middle-aged white men in suits and then you've got this hot secretary sitting there as well. Yeah, she really stands yeah. out and <laughs> Harry's just like, yep, you'll do. Yeah, yeah. I definitely would have liked to have seen basically the fix-it version of this. I mean, someone might have written it. Someone probably has written it. But the fix-it version of Amazing Spider-Man 2 where Peter does help Harry. He talks to Gwen properly treats her like a person Gwen doesn't die and Harry becomes badass actually doing good for the planet CEO <laughs> that would have been fun one of the big things around this movie as well is that Sony's servers got hacked and a bunch of emails were stolen ah. I don't know if you know about some of this but one of it is that Kevin Feige saw the movie and has notes about it that I find quite interesting oh. to read some of I think from his point of view, he was thinking, I'm possibly going to be inheriting this version of Spider-Man for my universe, so I want this film to be better as a result. And it seemed like it almost happened that Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man went into the MCU, but things fell apart and it just didn't happen. The whole plan went to pot. And I still think I'd rather see the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man as the MCU Spider-Man, but that's not what we have. And what we have is fine, but I think I would prefer that. I would love to see... Andrew Garfield's quipping away with Robert Downey Jr. and so on. That would be amazing to watch, but we're not getting it. Yeah, I mean, there's just something about Iron Man. I like Tony and Peter. I think it's quite sweet. But from like an inherent thematic view, Peter is poor and a working class hero. Obviously, he's got like a big emotional attachment to Tony, but it's kind of blinding him from the evil of billionaires existing and that's just bad. I remember seeing a video, I think it might have been Straw Hat Goofy or something on TikTok pointing out, can't remember if it's him though, someone on TikTok who was like the MCU versions of the characters meeting comic book versions of them and just being like, ah, so where are you up to? We're the same person. What's happened to you so far? And he's like, oh, that's my friend MJ. Oh, Mary Jane. No. Michelle Jones. What? <laughs> I've got this friend called Ned. Oh, okay, cool. I guess. Yeah, and Mr. Stark gave me my suit. Tony Stark? What? <laughs> Which is really funny. I, mean, I suppose you could almost get that if Tom Holland meets the other versions of Spider-Man. Things like, yeah, so I've got this army of drones, but I never use them. It's like, you've what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be funny if they're like sat in like Aunt May's apartment in the tiny little apartment in New York with all of his old 
tech projects made out of dumpster DVD sets and everything. So they're just like, wait, wait, so how did you get that suit? Oh, Tony Stark gave it to me. We were like really close and he died. I'm actually kind of really sad about it. And they were like, right, so your best friend, Tony Stark, gave you the suit, but you still live in this shitty ass flat. <laughs> And can't afford to go to college. And he's like, uh. <laughs> and then MJ is like, see, told you. I didn't want to say it because you just lost your friend or whatever, but yeah. billionaires are bad people. <laughs> Who are you talking to? Oh, that's my artificial intelligence, Karen. What? I have a police scanner app on my phone. And then Toby Maguire, <laughs> he, like, I have a police scanner that's in my apartment. <laughs> You guys can take it with yeah. you. <laughs> What's going on here? This is crazy. It, yeah. If other Spider-Men met the Tom Holland Spider-Man, they'd be like, what is this? I can't what? imagine this. Who are yeah. you? I wrote down in my notes. I think it was during the Electro bit in Town Square, particularly Electro getting fucked over by people's responses to his power and Spider-Man and stuff like that. And there's a sound that's going around TikTok at the minute, which is just someone very sadly saying, this wouldn't have happened if I was in X-Men. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, can't we just cart Max off to Xavier's so that he, he can control his powers? Yeah, let's maybe not torture him. Maybe try that. That's uh, yeah, a good idea. Yeah, you know. But yes, so some of Kevin Feige's notes. The first one is, there are too many storylines and we need to choose which ones we are focusing on and lift out the other ones. I.e. could reduce Father Art to just Roosevelt. Yep, fair point. Could cut out Plane Crash and Richard destroying spiders and start an armoured car. Yep. I think what he's saying is, let's just cut out the Richard Parker stuff because it doesn't work. It's pointless. It yeah. doesn't add anything. Yeah. It says, don't start with Spider-Man. Let the danger stakes to New York City build first and then have Spider-Man enter the scene heroically. That's kind of what I said. He's on his way to graduation. He's swinging there because yeah. it's the quickest way he knows how. And then this starts happening. He's like, oh man, I'm going to be so late. Oh, Gwen's going to yeah. be annoyed at me, especially when I high five the principal and then kiss her on stage. That's heavily inappropriate that's a weird entrance mm. that's why his behavior in this film is what oh. i mean aunt may's like holy crap what's he doing crazy yeah just got a bit of an edge a slightly uncomfortable edge yeah. on some of his actions in this movie. really love electro feels like you may not need to see in his apartment which makes him seem completely crazy and hard to relate to we've said that yeah need to set up the power plant earlier visually okay yeah makes sense yeah, that makes sense. Seems like the movie switches point of views a lot. Why are we in Max's point of view during the car chase? Worth looking at this playing out from Spidey's point of view. Okay. Tiny note, don't think Peter would lie to Gwen about sirens. Maybe he just downplays it. Mm. Instead of seeing the ghost of Captain Stacy, can just hear the voice in Peter's head and maybe flash back to the last movie. Don't think we should add Cap Stacy back into the car chase. Yeah, that was so weird. They're just the ghost dad appearances. Yeah, also, if you don't remember what he looks like, he's just going to look like another cop. Yeah. When films rely on you to remember the face of a minor character, it's a bit, mm. Yeah. Harry's story feels like the main plot of the movie. Peter should look into the past because of Harry. Maybe find some photos of them together as kids. Use Obsession Wall more to set up this part of the past, not just what happened to his parents. Okay. Yeah. There's so many pictures of Gwen and his family in this movie. Why don't we have any of him and Harry? That makes sense. Andrew's performance is all over the place. A lot of crying and then a lot of mania. Hard to track him emotionally sometimes. It undermines his reaction to Gwen's death because he gets upset and emotional a lot. I feel like that's probably an editing problem rather than a performance problem. Yeah, Andrew's performance is amazing, but it's like the script is consistent to show it a clear arc. Yeah. yeah. Like the idea that May finds out he's Spider-Man, finds a costume instead of the Rosemary Harris wink-wink all the time. Sure. 
kind of like the morgue, but hate the dancing mortician cliche. (laughs) (laughs) Surveillance scene should be about following Harry, not Peter. No one should be following Peter. An electro hum itsy bitsy spider before he plays it electronically. Maybe we can use this again. I don't know where he's getting some of these notes from. Don't need Aunt May in the kitchen. Okay. But that's basically all she does. <laughs> I wonder what that means. It, it means he doesn't like the scene about washing the flag, because I thought well, that was quite funny. That was funny, but maybe he didn't think it was necessary to take place in the kitchen? Hmm. Spider-Man needs to feel more directly responsible for preventing the planes from crashing. Or they just don't do that at all. Yeah, see, there's no point. Don't show New Yorkers looting, is something that he also said. <laughs> Yeah, Kevin Feige had some notes and the plot stuff it's all stuff we've talked about here he watched an early cut of this movie and thought this could be better and then they just ignored him yeah see look Mr Feige obviously you know what you're doing and we came up with essentially the same notes that you did so you should hire us yeah exactly we get it we're on the level Mr Feige please please sir (laughs) it's quite funny how it's ostensibly we're rivals here and I'm going to give you some free advice on how to fix this film and then you just ignore it. And you're going to ignore it. That's so weird. And oh, by the way, we want Spider-Man in our universe. You've only made these films because the rights were about to lapse, so it's only a matter of time. We'll get them. It's only a matter of time. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing, so that's like really weird that he pointed that out and no one thought, oh, you know what, maybe he's right. It's also maybe too late at that point because the film was already yeah. nearing release. I think it was just problematic from day one which is a shame because like i said last time andrew garfield was was great casting at the wrong time he didn't get the chance to be a great spider-man because there was so much stacked against him yeah yeah i I get that that makes a lot of sense overall i think this is a fun movie to watch and you can enjoy their performances individually and like moment to moment you could definitely have fun watching the film but there's just a lot to be desired when you get down to it yeah it's full of problems it doesn't work as a cohesive piece it's just very, very messy. And it's just a shame that Andrew Garfield might never get that chance to be the version of Spider-Man that he could have been because there was definite potential in these two films, for sure. Yeah, I'm glad we're going to get, well, not officially, (laughs) but I'm glad we're going to get to see something more because of the multiverse. That's really exciting to me that they're willing to do that. What will really piss me off, though, is they do that and then they don't bring back anyone from like the Netflix shows. People keep spreading rumours about Daredevil and it's like, what's the point of connecting the Netflix shows to the MCU if you're never going to bring them back? You've got so much character development and world building and you're just going to completely ignore it because it's now everything's on Disney+. Plus. Like, what's the point? Yeah, well, they disconnected them at some point actually well they didn't actively do it but they just distanced themselves from them there's things like the punisher season two takes place during the time that the blip was happening and there's no mention of it stuff like that so they're completely disconnected and i think that's just dodgy writing on endgame infinity wars <laughs> can't be dealing with infinity war and endgame everybody has said when interviewed about it that if they were to bring daredevil into the mcu even played by charlie cox they would soft reboot him So there'd be some details that are similar, but it would be essentially a different version of the character played by the same actor, but with a similar sort of backstory. A less brutal backstory, I'm guessing. It's a bit frustrating because why throw away all that work? But it kind of makes sense to essentially translate him from the super gritty Netflix shows to the MCU to maybe just gloss over his story. You know, just he's a lawyer. He beats the bad guys in 
Hell's Kitchen. You can have some funny quips about the Russians or something, that kind of thing. You don't need to have all the depth that he has in the Netflix shows as you're translating him into a movie. Just take away a little bit of the trauma from behind his eyes. <laughs> And just let him chill out a bit, and, and then he'll have fun, I think. Yeah. Have him talk to Peter about those dragon bones he found under a building in New York somewhere, and Peter's just like, I, I don't know what to do with that information, to be honest. Hey, Peter, did you know that there's a dead dragon under New York? What am I supposed to do with that? I don't know, why don't you have your drones go dig them up, yeah, yeah. Peter, with your fucking drones? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's getting harder to prove that you're not a murderer. I think it will happen with Matt Murdock, but I think... If anything, they'll just do passing references to the Netflix events if they reference them at all. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they have to reference it, but I don't think they should just pretend the Netflix series doesn't exist and then have the same guy playing the same character. No, I think it would just be, I've been helping people out in Hell's Kitchen for years or whatever. I don't know. It's just like, did you not hear any of the news out of Hell's Kitchen? Dude, I'm from Queens. What does it matter? (laughs) Watch out for that Wilson Fisk guy. He could be a problem. Yeah. Wilson, who? Oh my god. <laughs> Do you not hear about Midland Circle? What's that? <laughs> Dragon Bones. Don't ask. It's just out there. Don't ask. <laughs> but yes, we might get to see Andrew Garfield once again, which is why we're doing this, this lead up, talking about the old Spider-Man movies. Yes. And it'll be interesting to see what Exciting. point they pick him up at, because I think they'll have him play his age at this point. Yeah, yeah. I guess the whole idea would be you've got these two adult established Spider-Men who can help Peter Parker Mm. understand the struggle in the same way that Spider-Verse. It's like, we've been doing this a while. Listen to us. Or maybe Peter realises the way you do stuff is stupid. (laughs) Yeah. You guys are just mongy. Chill out. What what do you mean the webbing comes out of your wrist? Have you never been concerned about that? (laughs) That's weird. I just, I can't wait for a potential scene between Garfield and Holland being like, is that shit coming out of you? <laughs> yeah, it is. Doesn't it come out of you? No, that's crazy. <laughs> no! It's disgusting. <laughs> wait, your feet are sticky, but you can't handle the idea that the webs actually come out of us. No, gross. Oh, oh, Why? Oh, oh, that's, no, that's invasive. I don't want that. <laughs> also, they shut down the spider experiments on Oscorp. So how has Peter still got web fluid maybe there's a big stockpile of it so they're still able to sell it (laughs) and they're just still selling it we shouldn't keep any of this for research that's fine yeah i don't know they never establish whether he just buys it or whether he sneaks in and steals it we discussed this last time in the first film there's that scene where he gets a delivery and in that delivery is the the idea that they're doing such intense and classified experimentation on these spiders yet the spider silk is just available for anyone to buy yeah that's wild yeah it's crazy that's kind of dumb <laughs> i mean it's all dumb right it's, it's not very well considered it's all dumb <laughs> but andrew garfield is a great actor and he is beautiful and the same with emma stone so yeah. yeah, it's fun. So do you have any final thoughts on The Amazing Spider-Man 2 before we wrap up? I think we've eviscerated it quite considerably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, I do have one final thing because we briefly brought up marketing earlier. I just remembered. I found this hilarious because I realised we have both of these on DVD because we love Andrew Garfield. The covers look essentially identical. He's in the same sort of classic pose swinging across the front of the box and then there's Gwen and some other characters behind him or there's just New York behind him. But what is hilarious to me is the discs and probably a bunch of the accompanying posters that advertise the movie in the first one it's him and Gwen facing each other, like the profiles of their faces facing each other. And on the second one, it's him and Electro. So what does that say visually? The first one, it's like, these two are in love. The second one, these two are enemies? But the discs look identical. It's just one is Gwen Stacy and one is Electro, which doesn't translate <laughs> the sequence of events at all. If you were gonna make that visually make sense, it would be Peter and Gwen looking at each other for the first one, looking away for each other for the second film, or just Electro on the disc, or just Peter on the disc in the second one. I found that hilarious, and also to know that there's probably a bunch of pictures of them two staring lovingly into each other's eyes the same way him and Gwen did in the first movie is just so dumb. <laughs> That's why I'm so done with the basic. So all superhero movies do the basic poster. They all have really unique designs hidden away somewhere. They'll do them for little cinematic teaser releases or whatever. But they always go with the super basic, a bunch of disembodied heads facing different directions in like a vague sort of like circular or diamond shape. And I'm just so done with it. It doesn't say anything and it's annoying. It seems that movie poster designs for blockbusters and for big films go through phases. It's the era of the orange colour and stuff so I think I've seen that meme yeah. somewhere where it's like I can't make sense of that trilogy and it's like Aladdin and two other films that aren't connected but the posters <laughs> yeah, are the same yeah. colour and the same basic design so yeah. they look yeah they look very similar yeah. but the new poster for No Way Home was released yesterday mm. as we record and it has armour suit Spider-Man like him with the, the tentacles armour around and, it isn't it yeah and Green Goblin's very small in the corner and stuff like that so I don't know, I quite like that poster, actually. and I don't really think about the posters too much as such. But yeah, I do, I do notice the... This is just a bunch of heads. So it is. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice poster because it's very dynamic and it's relatively unique. I'm just looking at this new poster now. See, that's one of the fun sort of early release posters that they do. You know, they're actually hinting at something. And then when it comes to the actual movie poster, it's just a bunch of disembodied heads. This doesn't say anything about the movie. You're just showing off your celebrities. Yeah. It's just really frustrating to me that studios won't take the risk on good art to portray the media that they've made. It feels like they've already given up on their narrative because they think the story's not strong enough to be represented by one image. And that's just super frustrating for me as an artist. There's so many gorgeous posters and posters designers out oh, there sure. yeah. and you're just wasting it. You've got all these comic book artists that can make one gorgeous cover for you and a bunch of variants that look really nice, but you're just going to do a bunch of disembodied heads over a skyline. Sure, fine. Yeah, now I think about it, the Homecoming and Far From Home posters are nearly identical. Yeah, but the thing about those is that they had gorgeous cinematic release posters. There was the one of Spider-Man in his Midtown High jacket lounging on the wall mm -hmm. with a city above him. Beautiful. The other one, it was sort of like the traditional Spidey sense, like the circles going out. It was all drawn and it was like half his face, half the Spider-Man mask and like alternating rings in the circle. Gorgeous image. Why can that not be the main poster? I don't understand. I hate it. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs>
That's fair. But yeah, I get quite pressed about it because I just graduated in illustration. Yeah. So <laughs> Just make your own posters and make your own DVD boxes and then away you go. I should. I should start printing out just a bunch of custom boxes because I'm done yeah, with this. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> My final thoughts are a couple of little superficial things. I like that in none of the action sequences does Spider-Man lose his mask. Like it keeps his mask on throughout all of yeah. the action sequences. Although it does mean that you don't get to see Andrew Garfield do very much in the whole Spider-Man things. It's effectively he disappears whenever Spider-Man appears because he never takes his mask yeah. off. You haven't ever seen me and Spider-Man in the same room together. I'm just saying. Because <laughs> <laughs> I get why they did it with the Tobey Maguire ones because they wanted FaceTime with the main actor. So every. Tobey Maguire movie ends with his mask getting torn while he fights the main villain. Yeah. It's to give you that emotional hook. But I think with Andrew Garfield's voice, you get enough of that. So that's fine. So I like that. Mm. And bizarrely, it's, I really like that scene at the top of the bridge. That's a reference to the bridge. That, yeah, it's cute. That Gwen gets thrown off in the comics, except she won't get thrown off this one. <laughs> She'll get thrown off something else instead and then die quite gruesomely. It's Charlotte's Web moment. Yeah. They're talking and Peter has his mask off. He's still wearing the costume except for the mask. I don't know why. I just, I guess yeah. it's come from my days of fandom of the Power Rangers. It's like when you finally see them without helmets, but they're still wearing the costume. <laughs> yeah. I like that. And I like that in the Arrowverse shows as well. It's like, oh, look, it's the Flash, but he's not wearing the cowl. And I don't know why I respond so positively to that, but I quite like that sort of half dressed in a way, superhero look where they're not fully ready for action yet. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because it it does tell you he is Spider-Man because he's not wearing (laughs) the mask, but he's wearing the rest of the costume. I don't know. It's just a superficial thing, but I quite enjoy those two things. So, yeah, those are kind of my final thoughts. Yeah, it's nice. I like it. (laughs) We've managed to be somewhat positive about this movie, so that's good. Yeah, I think it's... We've been fair, I think. It's enjoyable and it's fun, but we have been fair. (laughs) <laughs> and if this is your favourite film you do you yeah it's, absolutely it's, I'm enjoying it I enjoyed it and you should too I just keep watching I it I wish it was my favourite yeah, film and it's your favourite film I don't film. like that it's not my favourite film yeah. I wish it was it's got so much potential and that's the problem I have with it yeah so much potential it's deeply flawed but it has potential and it's a shame it gets bogged down by so much corporate crap they're trying to franchise it before you have anything to franchise just make a Spider-Man mm. film that's all yeah, you need yeah. to do it's not that hard. Well, I mean, it is hard, but you don't have to overcomplicate <laughs> it with all this extra crap. You just don't. Yeah, definitely agree. Just have fun. Just have fun. Just have fun. He's a fun character. Okay, so where can the fine listeners find you elsewhere on the internet? The people can find me on Podcast 616 here. Also, I've been dipping in and out of some of the other network podcasts, like Real Talk and stuff. I'm on the social medias as at vintage underscore T3A. That's vintage T. I'm also on the sci-fi comedy drama podcast, Kiwa Maxi's Adventures and Everything. I play Maxi. We have been so much fun recording. There are the first three episodes out so far. It would mean a lot if you could check that out and drop a comment. I'd love to know what you think. I'm also featured in an episode of the Nightmare Portal, and occasionally I stream on Twitch. And that's me. Cool. Plenty of places then. There's no shortage of Carpenter Lockwood on the internet. Mm. It would seem. (laughs) For me, I'm found periodically on Podcast 616. This is the end of my Spider-Man contributions. Other people are doing the Tom Holland movies. But I managed to get the first five, the non-MCU ones, so I'm quite chuffed with myself. Yeah. Invading all five. I think I'm going to be on the Spider Verse ones because I had all those films. Cool. <laughs> cool. 
Good stuff. Outside of this, I can be found on Rarely Going, which is our Star Trek animated podcast on the We Made This Network, currently covering Star Trek Prodigy, at least at the time of recording. I don't know about the time of release because they've released some scheduling stuff that was a bit out there, but that's neither here nor there. But I can be found there, also dipping in and out of other stuff on We Made This, Real Talk, movie versaries, frame to frame, stuff like that. So yeah, you can hear me. I'm everywhere. Outside of We Made This, I have a blog called Neil Before Blog. That's Facebook and Twitter under Neil Before Blog. You can find me there. I cover mostly comic book TV shows at the moment. So I'm currently reviewing Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl, which is airing its last episodes tonight as we record. So I'm ready to be an emotional oh, wow. wreck tomorrow when I watch those and write my final oh. Supergirl reviews. So I'm doing that. I'll be covering The Flash. There's an associated podcast called Neil Before Pod where the last release was a news roundup. There's also a What If episode coming soon and some other stuff. There's plenty of stuff on New Before Pod, so check that out if you please. Personally, I'm under Nemesis4909, which once again, my legal obligation is to state that it's not a Star Trek reference, or at least wasn't initially. It started life as a Resident Evil reference and then became a Star Trek reference eventually. So that's nice when all my universes align in one place. We just need some nemesis type character in spider-man and then a, that's a good trifecta for me three of my favorite yes. things so that's where you can find me <laughs> and for this network it's under wmt underscore network on twitter or we made this network.com you can find all the podcast episodes there you can subscribe on all good and evil podcast apps you can go to patreon and throw in a couple of bucks a month to help support the network if you want to, there's plenty of other content coming your way, some snippets of which you'll hear once I've finished talking. Until next time, just remember, with great power comes great responsibility. Elsewhere on We Made This. Shipwrecked and Comatose, a Red Dwarf podcast. So you know how you were both talking about the uh, the attractive women and how you spotted a particular one that you liked, etc, etc. Would you like to know what I put in my notes? Go on then. Yeah. Love the Cuban heels. <laughs> they, they're very nice heels. And the fact he mentioned oh. in the behind the scenes later on there, was it a size too small? Yes. Yeah. That's totally hurt. worth it for Cuban heels. For me, yeah. I'm six foot one, which is ever so slightly above average. If I get a pair of Cubans, I'm six foot three and I look like a god. Yeah. I f- love Cuban heels. Pick a disc. The, the steps formula at that time was uh, thing, if there's another verse, the fail get it. If they want a little bridge or something like that, they might give it to H um, or, or Lisa possibly. Uh, but the, all the, the hook and everything else would have been clear. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, well, notice as well, I think Lisa has a lot more kind of solo stuff or, or solo verses in this album, I think, from what I remember. Um, yeah. As well. Um, so, the, and so the balance is slowly getting more, more into things. I mean, but it's something that usually happens in all kind of girls slash boy groups. Frame to frame. My first trip to the cinema to 
see a Bond film was Die Another Day. The first one I saw in the cinema was The World Is Not Enough. I tried to get into Tomorrow Never Dies, I was just too young, and we got rumbled in the queue, and I was absolutely devastated. She went, oh, are you 12 years old? There was a woman in the queue. I thought, I can't remember if it was a woman behind the box office or not. She basically did like a kind of MI6 job on me and scammed me, and went, oh, you know, you're not getting in. Um, <laughs> it doesn't sound like it took a lot of interrogation. There was no, no one exactly, holding, no. <laughs> holding a rope with knots in it to you. <laughs> He's like, you know, we know how long I'd last in the field. <laughs> uh, are you 12 years old? No, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, 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 I am. <laughs> it's like the stoning in Life of Brian. <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry, I thought we'd started. <laughs> Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network.